0: This is Mark from Talking Metal, and this is Victor from Mars Attacks, and we are together kind of doing a very special dual episode, if you will. It's a Talking Metal slash Mars Attacks combo episode, and this is going to be going out on the stream of, or not the stream, the RSS, I guess, of uh, Talking Metal and Mars Attacks. So, Victor, what time is it over there in Spain today?
1: It is, uh, we're six hours ahead of the East Coast, so it is roughly 25 to 4 in the afternoon.
0: Yeah, and we got 937 over here in New York City where I'm recording. So it's good to talk with you, Victor, and I appreciate you uh, doing this with me. I was recently listening to two great episodes that you put out on your your podcast, the Mars Attacks podcast, uh, that dealt with KISS and specifically with REVENGE and uh really really as a obsessive kiss fan i really really enjoyed listening to those two episodes and uh you know it was just a great listen because it was one of those things where i agreed with a lot of what you and mitch were saying but then also there were certain points that you guys were saying where i where i was disagreeing with you and uh, really got emotionally and involved in listening to those two episodes. Can you tell us a little bit about those episodes and, and about who Mitch is and how you you pulled him in to do the episodes with you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And first, uh, you know, I do want to say thanks for for the great criticism. And um, you know, I have no problem with people disagreeing with what we said. That's sort of part of the fun of doing these podcasts. Is that you get you know, um, people's blood boiling to an extent and get them to either agree or or disagree. So that's cool. And um, I found out about Mitch, I guess, about a year ago uh, when tracking people down to, to add comments to the Mars Attacks Classic Albums column. Um, I came across Mitch in another podcast and I thought he was very insightful and thought it was really cool that he wasn't scared to voice his opinion with, um, with different topics. So I said, you know, I should try getting a hold of him to see if he could, you know, lend the same type of comments to what I was trying to do. Right. And, um, little did I know that he was an absolute kiss freak as well. So... Um, little by little, I'd been going back and forth with him via email and via Facebook. And he put out this series of five interviews, uh, regarding revenge. And he has a really good, uh, relationship with Bruce Kulick and with Eric Singer. So he was able to pry some information out of them that maybe others wouldn't have been able to do that. I know I wouldn't have been able to do because there's one specific tidbit with uh Bruce Kulick that Bruce mentioned something to me and then copped to uh Dick Wagner playing a solo on Revenge which was completely different to what he had told me. So um so it was just interesting that due to his experience and due to his know-how he was able to get like extra juice out of uh some of these people, and, you know, when things are written up, it it's never the same as, you know, a podcast or a radio show where you're actually able to hear the inflection in someone's voice and right. hear them explain things, so it's completely different, and you're listening to me and Mitch go back and forth, and you're hearing, you know, him, you know, either be, you know, uh, sarcastic or hearing him be, you know, enthusiastic about different topics, and uh, and he purposely... He was actually the reason why we did a part two, because he said, you know what? All right, now you've heard me describe uh, these episodes or these interviews. I'm sorry. Now you go and read them and take notes and let me know what you think about the comments. So that's why we sort of did uh, the other half of the episode with me coming back and mentioning, you know, what stood out to me, what really surprised me. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned this to you before. Uh, over the phone no matter how big a fan you think you are of kiss in this case there's always someone that knows a little more knows some extra you know uh details that you know as you're saying really get you going and really get you hooked and you know you're yeah, to see I what mean some of the stuff you guys
0: out. kind of revealed on that episode I, I was just blown away by by like for example Vinnie Vincent his guitar it seems like there's a good possibility his guitar track or some of his guitar track, was left on the song um, Unholy. And I thought that was pretty amazing.
1: Right. Yeah, during that intro, that scratchy part. um, And it's interesting because with the box set that they released later on, and this is something that I forgot to mention during those episodes, when they released the song on their box set, that whole intro is missing. They fade into just the opening chords of the song. Ah,
0: That's interesting.
1: So that makes you think, you know, that's got to be Vinny, and that's another way of them sort of sticking it to him.
0: Oh, right, totally, totally. Yeah, um, and I mean, what about that song Car Jam that's on that record? And just a a little bit of background for for you guys who are listening. We're talking about the Revenge record, which was an album by Kiss that came out in the early 90s, right? 91, I think, 92?
1: Yeah, it's 92 because it was just the 20th anniversary, um, and yeah car jam for obviously for those big time kiss fans they know that that ended up being breakout on Ace freely's first uh, non-kiss album and uh, apparently um I I'd been looking into the the song after we had discussed this and if I'm not mistaken in the box set it actually mentions that the additional rhythm tracks on there were laid on there. By Eric Carr, that it was Eric Carr's demo, and that there's no
0: chance that that that, that, because I remember when Revenge came out, there was like you know this is way pre-internet and stuff, but among my little circle of of Kiss friends, including uh, John uh, Astronomy, we all were. conspiracy theorizing, if you will, that, hey, maybe Ace's guitar, you know, being that this Car Jam track was an older track from possibly the Elder Sessions right. that, that, that Eric uh, had come up with, you know, which is almost, it was kind of a Moby Dick-esque song with, uh, you know, this drum solo in the middle. But maybe that guitar part was actually Ace playing, you know, and, and is it possible I mean, wouldn't that be a, a mind fuck that that here's revenge, an album with Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Paul and Gene, but here you had a little Vinny here, and maybe there's some <laughs> some Ace guitar parts left over. No right. possibility of that, you think?
1: I I don't know. You know, with with um, Gene and Paul being the way that they are with money and with everything else, who knows? But then again. There's that great Wendy O. Williams album where Ace and Vinny and Eric Carr and Paul Stanley and um, Gene appear on that album as well, and they're not all credited. They're credited like now online.
0: That's the Wow album?
1: Yeah, the Wow album. There are two songs that Vinny wrote on that that he actually solos. I don't remember if the first track he solos on, but the second one, it's definitely him because you could tell his style of of soloing.
0: Um, but when that album came out, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can specifically, I didn't buy it right when I came out because back in the day we didn't, you know, uh, we had to save our paper out money and we could only be very selective on what we wanted to buy. Um, right. But But I remember drooling over that album in a Rose Records record store in Chicago, outside of Chicago, Illinois, as a, as a youngster, and I could have sworn there was a sticker on it that said featuring Ace Frehley on on guitar on certain tracks or something. Is that is that a possibility, or is that...
1: Yeah, you you could be right. Um, I, I could be me- messing up my facts. I believe that Gene, at least, isn't credited. Like, he produced the album, but I believe his bass parts are credited to Baron Von something or other. Oh, yeah. uh, to sort of throw people off. Yeah,
0: mm, Interesting. Anyways, so much good KISS stuff on uh, the Mars Attacks episodes. What is it, 66 and 67?
1: Yep, 66 and 67. And I do have to say that uh, I did just recently record another episode um, with Mitch, which will be out shortly, uh, which will be regarding uh, songs that KISS covered. A lot of people talk about bands covering KISS, but... Kiss has actually gone out and covered a lot of bands throughout their history, um, right. so we touched on that. And uh, there's some pretty cool. interesting. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, you'll
0: avoid the Peter Chris 1978 solo album, which has a bunch of covers on it.
1: We uh, we 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 mentioned that in passing, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, good. <laughs> just to sort of be um, historically correct. But yeah, I don't know too many people that are. That that are fans of that album, so
0: yeah, that's really the only Kiss record I don't I don't like. Um, and uh, anyways, uh, I, w- I wanted to play a song off of Psycho Circus because I, I I feel this is a, a, an album that gets a bad rap, maybe even gotten a, a slight bad rap on the uh, the Revenge uh, episodes you did, Mars Attacks podcast episode sixty six sixty seven. And I, I, you know, I know Paul Stanley was, uh, I believe, not happy with how this album turned out, or at least he wasn't happy with the recording process of the record. And I actually think there's there's at least three excellent songs on the record. Yeah, um, that being "Psycho Circus," uh, of course, "Into the Void," and another song called "Within," which I think is just right. excellent. And and this song "Within," almost to me, you know, sounds like. First of all, the guitar sounds like that Mesa Boogie rectifier sound, which is just over the top heaviness, very '90s heaviness sound to it. Right. And uh, um, I'm not saying that's what it actually is—a Mesa Boogie, but it, it could have been. <laughs> uh, but it, it just it, um, it it almost feels like it could have been a song on, if not Revenge, maybe Carnival of Souls. And what, what's your thoughts on the song Within, a, a Gene song? At least Gene sings it. I'm not sure who writes it, actually.
1: Yeah, um, that's actually one of my favorite tracks off of that album as well. The intro to that is just so cool with the uh, guitars coming in, uh, the uh, obvious down-tuning, which uh, isn't as noticeable um, on other tracks. And um, and I, I agree with you. It is one of the strongest tracks off of the album. Um Personally, for myself, I don't think Psycho Circus is a bad album. I think um, it's sort of like the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden somebody pulled the curtain back, and you realize that it wasn't Ace and Peter on all the songs, and it was like, all right, well, this wasn't what we all signed up for. Um, right, right, totally. I think that's what bugs people more, more than anything else, but again, there, there are some cool tracks off of that, and um is it their worst album no i i don't even think it's um I, to be honest with you there are a lot of other albums that i that i'd listened to this before some of these other uh kiss albums that i don't really care for including that peter solo album
0: <laughs> right yeah anyways which is not I, I it's a shame it even has the kiss logo on it because it, it really you know brings down such a good track record that peter chris solo record uh for kiss um I don't know what Peter was thinking. You know, it was interesting. I found some cassette that I have of him that he put out in the early 90s. Right. Um, do you remember that? It like had a picture of him on the, the cover with half makeup, half face.
1: Right. The yeah. um, uh, Chris Cat 1. That actually has Ace on it as well.
0: Does it? Yeah. I got to transfer that cassette to, uh, to MP3s and play some of it on the podcast at some point um, because I couldn't find a, a copy of it online. Right. Anyways, this is Within off of Psycho Circus by KISS.
1: is with within coming off of psycho circus
0: yes and you got victor from mars attacks and mark from talking metal doing a dual episode here i just wanted to victor if you don't mind quickly throw out a couple shout outs uh, to some talking metal people uh, linda from new york city recently made a paypal donation to talking metal and it was our b- biggest donation yet I believe, beating out John from the UK. So, Linda from New York City, thank you very much for your generous donation to the Talking Metal Fund. I also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Rocky Stradlin. Do you know this guy, Victor? I actually don't. Yeah, he's got a real cool... He's a Talking Metal listener. I guess he is, at least he claims to be. And he's got a real cool Facebook page, which I suggest you go like. Uh, It's uh, called facebook.com slash glam metal hard rock and he sticks up a lot of cool videos from back in the day that I personally love. So definitely check Rocky Stradlin's Facebook page out. We'll link that through today's show notes on Talking Metal. So, Victor, we spent a little time talking about Kiss. Let's spend some time talking about Led Zeppelin, a band that we know is not 100% heavy metal, but most people cite three bands as kind of the, the... Founders or godfathers of heavy metal, and those bands, of course, are Black Sabbath, Deep Purple, and Led Zeppelin. A band,
1: sure.
0: Led Zeppelin, a band that, of course, played everything from country to 1970s era heavy metal, which is very different from what some people consider heavy metal today. Sure. But uh, in my opinion, songs like you know, "Whole Lot of Love" and and some of the early Zeppelin stuff. Uh, you know, even off of Led Zeppelin 4, like, you know, Four Sticks and Black Dog. I mean, these were all pillars that that the heavy metal uh, sound kind of built upon. and right. And they helped establish, along with Black Sabbath and Deep Purple for that matter, what came to be known at least by the mid 70s if not even by like say 1973 it came to you know by 1973 people were really starting to throw around this term heavy metal and I mean at that point if we could take a a trip back to 1975 or 1973 for that matter or 75 it doesn't matter and you ask somebody what heavy metal is they would probably a lot of them say I've never heard of it but the the you know shopping mall rats and and kids who comb the record stores and you know were were starting to wear like jean jackets and stuff like that would probably tell you that heavy metal is bands like Deep Purple, uh you know Led Zeppelin and. Black Sabbath, I mean, in 1973, you know, I've even heard bands like Humble Pie, you know, back in right. old articles referred to as heavy metal, Jimi Hendrix, you know, and, and all of them definitely contributed to what heavy metal has become. But let's talk specifically about Led Zeppelin. This is a band that I started getting into when I was in sixth grade maybe fifth grade. And it was right around the time that John Bonham died that I, that my attention was kind of brought to Led Zeppelin as as a a, a kid, you know, for that matter. Right. And Led Zeppelin was a band that in the 1980s, I don't know if, if a lot of people realize this, they were just as popular, if not even more popular than they were in the seventies, selling just millions and millions of records throughout the 1980s. Sure. And, uh, I remember specifically waiting for this reunion, you know, uh, there was in the mid 80s, it was rumored that they were getting back together with Tony Thompson on drums, or possibly Phil Collins on drums, or possibly Cozy Powell on drums, which were all logical, uh, you know, possibilities. And it just never happened. And then we got, I think, in the late 80s, that Atlantic Records anniversary, which then which featured Jason Bonham on drums. And more recently, we had a reunion. Am I missing any Led Zeppelin reunions? Or, yeah, there's or? the
1: Live Aid one where they did play with uh, Tony yeah, Thompson and right, Phil Right, right, the Live
0: Aid one, yeah. And then there was uh, the Atlantic Records anniversary, and then it was a long time, right? I don't think, I mean, of course, Page and Plant got back together uh, and did the Page-Plant thing in the, in the 90s, but I don't believe there was an official Led he- Zeppelin... Reunion, Yeah, there until was... Until the 2007 thing, right?
1: Right, yeah. They mentioned that it was 18 years or something like that between the 40th anniversary show and uh, the show at the O2 back in 07.
0: Right. And I know you recently saw the new DVD. You got a sneak preview of it uh, that's yep. uh, the DVD of the 2007 concert uh, that is about to be released which features Jason Bonham replacing his his father again John Bonham. But let's first just talk about before we get your review of the of the new DVD. Let's talk about why why do you think there has never been a reunion? I mean, I think in 2007 our hopes were really pretty high. At least mine were that hey, this is finally finally going to happen. Something I've really been wanting my whole life is is finally going to happen they're going to get back together and you know sure it might not be led zeppelin without john bonham but we have the next best thing jason right. bonham who is making a living basically out of you know covering his father's music or at least that's right. part of his living at this point uh, so who better than than jason bonham to replace his father but uh, you know from what i understand the concert was very was very good. Dave Grohl and other people commented that it sounded great. I'm curious to hear how you think it sounded on the DVD, which we know could have been touched up or whatever, but still it's the basic show, I'm, I'm sure. But, right. but wh- I mean, why, like $200 million, $300 million, even $100 million, I'm hearing these figures thrown around. Why wouldn't Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, and John Paul Jones done a, uh, a reunion tour here in the States or throughout the world as Led Zeppelin in 2007, 2008, after the, uh, the reunion show uh, in London?
1: Well, I think there are a few things here. And I think the, the biggest thing, and, and this is going back to Kiss, being a diehard Kiss fan, one of the most heartbreaking experiences for me was seeing that Kiss Farewell tour because Peter couldn't play his parts. He was playing everything at you know, half the speed as the original uh, material or what we'd grown up listening to on Alive and Alive 2. Um, I think part of it is that so many people have this utopian image of how great Zeppelin was, um, how great they were possibly live. Uh, I would imagine that a good portion of the people have never heard bootlegs or you know uh that live aid and actually the 40th anniversary show for atlantic have never been released with zeppelin footage on it because they refused to allow them to release the material because yeah. they felt they played so poorly on those occasions so i almost have a feeling that they did the show they okay. thought it was maybe maybe as good as it could get right. and they sort of didn't want to tarnish you know, the image that, that they did have.
0: Um, well, see, I, I agree with you, sort of. I think, to me, that when you say they, I, I think it's specifically Robert Plant. I, I honestly believe that, that Jimmy Page and possibly John Paul Jones and definitely Jason Bonham wanted this tour to happen. And, and, and I believe there were talks and they tried to pull him in. But Plant, like he always has... Flaked on it, you know, and, yeah. and and it's like maybe Plant knows something more than we do, and it's like you're saying that it, you know the leave the memory at what it was, and the you know the the concert, the 2007 concert was pretty good, uh, although we know that the guitars were tuned down much lower and and right. he didn't hit a lot of the high notes. But you know, quite frankly, even back in the day, he didn't hit a lot of the high notes. You know, right. and, and absolutely. Uh, And Song Remains the Same, which was the live album from the 70s. If you guys don't know this, it's basically fact at this point that Robert re-recorded almost all of his, if not all of his vocals for that in the studio.
1: And and for the the new album, I've seen soundboard footage. I mean, I'd have to actually sit there and compare the soundboard footage to um, What what I saw. But it seemed to me that, especially after the third or fourth song, it seems like his his voice just received this boost out of nowhere. And it was like, all right, well, really? you know, the kid in me is saying, this kicks ass, this is taking me to, you know, my preteen years when I first, you know, found out about Zeppelin and I had that enthusiasm. So there's part of me saying that and then there's part of me saying, you know, it sounds as if he absolutely touched things up. And uh wow. listen Okay,
0: this is the this is major news. This is the first I'm hearing. So according to Victor from Mars Attacks, <laughs> you are suggesting that the new Zeppelin D V D that's about to come out definitely has touch ups, if not some major re recording of vocals and maybe other things.
1: I I, I- Honestly, think that it does. Uh, there's also another musical passage that I remember hearing where um, definitely uh, John Paul Jones and Jimmy Page were off. And right. from what I saw uh, from the DVD, there's no spot at all where they're even remotely off and they're playing. Mm. Um, I mean, I I personally don't knock them for that because everybody does this. There are very few bands... That can go out and put out a live concert, and their fans are going to buy it regardless. I mean, fans are going to buy this regardless, right. but since it's a one-off, and to make it even more special, um, it makes sense for them to to touch it up and make sure that it's the best album possible. I mean, if it sounds like a third-rate bootleg, no one's going to buy it. I mean, let's right? Be honest. No, totally,
0: <laughs> totally. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, and you know, I do. I just. Uh, do feel I guess we're talking about two different things here, the the DVD and the lack of any Led Zeppelin reunion. I, I do feel that Robert Plant is absolutely the one who has prevented it from happening. Um right. And you know maybe that maybe it's like maybe he's just smarter than all of us. Maybe he thinks that, you know, maybe he recognizes that okay, you do an actual tour, all that footage is gonna be all over YouTube and it's gonna you know diminish what Led Zeppelin was. Right. But the flip side of that is he's, he's prevented tours from happening for the last, you know, what, th- almost 25, 30 years at this point. You know, right. so it, it's, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like Robert Plant is, is grouchy and, and ouchy about anything Led Zeppelin. I mean, he reminds me of a guy named Harrison Ford who played Han Solo <laughs> in Star Wars. I'm a big Star Wars guy. And any time anyone asks Harrison Ford about Star Wars, he gets pissy and he and he he hates it and 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 it's like okay dude this is your iconic part that that we all love and love you for, and he refuses to show it any props you know and, right. and it's like maybe Plant isn't that bad because I do believe you know hey he does go out on his solo tours and whatnot and play. A lot of the Zeppelin classics, and he did do the Page Plant thing, but it's just like there's something there that that he refuses to to embrace, uh, and I don't know. I mean, I mean, I know that you know these guys probably have more money than they could ever need, but but come on, who doesn't need another? You know, let's say they got a hundred a hundred million dollars to do a small tour of the u.s i'm sure they wouldn't split that equally with jason i'm sure that would be at least 20 million in robert's pocket i mean who can't right. use 20 million dollars you know it's <laughs> right i don't know i don't know
1: yeah it, it definitely does seem strange um i don't know and in, in even doing a tour why not do you know what Sabbath just did? Just play. You know they did one show at the Download in England, and they did one show at uh, I believe it was at Lollapalooza in Chicago. Right. So you do. And they one. would be
0: doing a full tour Sabbath right now if you know a full tour with I guess Tommy on drums, not Bill Ward, but they would be doing a, a full official Sabbath tour right now if I what hadn't you know hadn't have gotten sick. So you know right. Yeah, yeah, but anyways, yeah. So let's get to the DVD. More of your review of the DVD. You hinted at maybe the fact that this DVD could possibly and probably has some touch-ups. That aside, how? Where did you see it? A and how? How was the experience of watching it? Were you just gripped by what you were seeing and hearing, or was there boredom or anything like that that set in? What's your official review?
1: Um, I think the the actual DVD was excellent. I got to see it in a uh, movie theater. It was completely digital, so it's the same quality as you're going to see on a Blu-ray, for example. And um, just that experience of seeing that show um, with that sound and with the digital image and just how vibrant the colors are and how well it was shot... Um, it made me wonder why more bands don't do this. You know, people are wondering why fans are moving away from the music industry and wanting to download things. Well, do special events like this. I know Maiden has done this. I know for the Big Four shows they did this as well. Right. But I think more bands could do this as a promotional tool. At the same time, the theater that I was in only had roughly 30 people in it. Um really? I don't no. think that's any fault of the band. I think that has more to do with the theater actually not, you know, publicizing the event. Um I found out sort of by accident on a forum that someone mentioned that uh there was going to be a screening, you know, from top to bottom though. Everyone that was there was, you know, bobbing their heads, was jamming along to the songs and everything. Um the song selection was great. I mean, there were a few songs that they played that weren't, you know, some of my favorite tracks and and I wish they would have Uh, played something off of each album Uh, they didn't Um, they uh, they didn't play absolutely anything off of uh, in through the outdoor and obviously they didn't play anything off of coda but uh, it would have been cool you know to see them maybe do something off of each but i understand you know the band has so many hits um, it's difficult to to choose an exact set list that you're going to make absolutely everyone happy so you know i think they did a great job with with what songs they did play um they they did steer away from like some of their popular things you know which i thought was cool they played some songs that maybe only a diehard would appreciate um there's one song off of uh, presence that they played which was absolutely cool that um what song was that they threw in there um and i should have looked this up beforehand
0: oh, no, yeah i don't mean to put you on the spot no, no,
1: no. Um,
0: Not Achilles' uh, Last Stand.
1: No, I wish they would have played Achilles' Last Stand. They played um, uh, A Day in the Life or something like that, oh, it's okay. called. Okay. Oh, it just came to me. It was For Your Life, which was really right. cool. It's like the third or fourth song uh, in on the uh, Celebration Day DVD. So it was cool to see them pull that out. It was also very cool to see the magic that is Led Zeppelin. You know, they do have an, an aura around them. Seeing, you know, Jimmy Page up there being really a larger than life character, seeing John Paul Jones, which. I've had countless arguments with people who have told me, ah, you know, he's the, he's sort of the weakest link in the band and just see. That's such bullshit. I mean, that's, there
0: was no (laughs) weak link in Zeppelin. That's, you know.
1: Absolutely. I agree. I mean, seeing him play, you know, a regular bass, a fretless bass, an eight string bass, seeing him play. Uh, you know, various types of keyboards um, on stage, you know, it, it was just it, it was like him giving a clinic, <laughs> you know, just, just right, proving totally. how strong a musician that he is. Um, and even though I mentioned that I think that some of the things were touched up, I would tell anyone that's remotely a Zeppelin fan that has never seen them live um to check this DVD out. It, it is very cool. Um, a lot of people have also mentioned, well, you know, John Bonham isn't there. You've already mentioned, you know, Jason Bonham is there. He's the next best thing. He's actually, uh, as Robert Plant mentioned in one of the press conferences, um, he's been studying John Bonham's playing since he was born. Uh, right. He's He has countless bootlegs. He even admitted during the New York press conference that he's seen, you know, Song Remains the Same thousands of times, um, just sitting there and studying the parts. And uh, apparently he would actually sit down during the rehearsals and say, okay, well, how do you want me to play this song? And the other members would turn to him and say, well, what do you mean? And he'd say, well, during, you know, this tour, my father played it this way. During the other tour, he played it like this. On the album, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. this. And Yeah, and Robert know,
0: Plant... Specifically, I don't know if it was at the New York one or the uh, the London press conference. He he talks about that. I think it may have been the London one. And the press conferences they gave, uh, that's a whole other story with them, you know, uh, Robert Plant uh, just calling the guy a schmuck who, who you know, suggested that why didn't they tour again? And, yeah. You know, uh, eh, anyways.
1: Uh, I mean, I... I... All right, I understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, give me a break. It's two press conferences. It isn't as if they're doing, you know, 16 hours of press conferences like any other band that's promoting an album. You know, big deal. They had to sit down for 40 minutes at a time to answer some obvious questions, and, you know, they sort of came off jackassish ish at, at times, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. Um they they could have handled things better. Now I understand that they're trying to play up to a persona or whatnot, but, but still I don't think uh they should feel that they're above anyone else and there were other like snide comments about people not being from, you know, official media or, or whatnot, you know. Uh but that's <laughs> that that's another conversation that could last hours as to what's actually suiting them better. Uh whether it's you know mainstream media or whether it's actually people like us so
0: right cool well thank you for sharing the uh the little mini review there on the dvd i'm actually uh just about to start work here on the east coast of the united states so uh, let's keep doing this let's do some more episodes uh sure. i apologize that it was so brief today but let's let's uh let's do it again real soon and we'll um just pick some some subjects, you know. I just like talking yeah. topics like you know, Kiss and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that with you. So, yeah, uh, I was thinking of ending today's show with a song off of Coda. So maybe we could just briefly talk about that. Uh, Coda okay. was kind of an interesting record to me because it came out, you know, after the fact, two, at least two years after Bonham had died, and it had a you know, a lot of people thought. I've heard people incorrectly cite that, oh, Coda was, you know, where Led Zeppelin were going to be going. And that's not true whatsoever, the way I understand it. Coda was simply a bunch of leftovers.
1: Right, yeah. Apparently there's maybe two tracks, which are Ozone Baby and Darlene, that could have been, you know, on that next uh, Led Zeppelin album. And actually Wearing and Tearing, which Jimmy Page played with Planet at some point, like at but Nebworth I thought those tracks.
0: I mean, "Darlene," I know for which I want to play for you guys uh, again, a Led Zeppelin song off of off of the album "Coda." I mean, that was a, a, a track that just didn't make in through the outdoor. I mean, that was recorded during those sessions, um, and I, I mean I don't I don't think it was it was the future. I, I, I think that you know there were three songs: "Ozone Baby," "Wearing and Tearing." and Darlene that were again just leftovers from the in through the outdoor session. So I think for anybody to say that, that okay those were three albums, three songs that were going to be on the next Led Zeppelin record, you know, if if there would have been an album of new material, I think is just kind of guesswork. I mean, don't you think? Right.
1: Well I I agree with you. I mean I don't think they've ever really come out and stated um that any of these songs would have been the future. Uh, my only sort of hesitation to giving a definitive answer for that is that when they did put out that uh, Complete Recordings box set, they included another four tracks, which were sort of leftovers from, uh, from other sessions. Um, so had the album have been, you know, 100% leftovers... Uh, why not include all these tracks to begin with? I don't know. Maybe it was something to do with the length of vinyl or whatnot, and with CD they could include them. Um, but, you know, again, why not Why not release those others sooner? Um, who knows? Um, I guess that's all part of the uh, the magic and the mystery behind uh, the band, and um, yeah. who knows if they'll ever answer that, you know?
0: Yeah, who knows, really? And, and Coda of course was released on the led zeppelin label swan song right which was most famous for releasing obviously led zeppelin records and also bad company i believe and they all swan song continued to exist for a little while after led zeppelin had dissolved obviously long enough to uh have the coda record again which came out in 1982 on november 19th actually my birthday in 1982 um it, but also that first Robert Plant solo record, which was very Zeppelin-esque, in my opinion, that that first Robert Plant solo record, and very good, in my opinion. That was also right. on the, the Swan Song um, imprint label, if you will. What Do you know who besides Bad Company was on that label? Do you know?
1: I think there was um, Billy Squire had a project that was on really? Swan Song. Wow. Yeah. yeah it was was like Piper? One... It may have been Piper. I mean, he was in so many bands before he was actually a solo artist. I mean, he had opened up for Kiss with like four different bands (laughs) Um, before he had even become a solo artist. Uh, It may be less than that, but it was multiple bands. Um, And there was someone...
0: Dave Edmonds. I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. Dave Edmonds was on... on A guy named Dave Edmonds was on uh, Swan Song.
1: Who who had a hit in the uh, early 80s, and it's possible that 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 was released as part of Swan Song. And there was uh, someone who I'd heard um, interviewed not too long ago who mentioned that that they had been signed to Swan Song right before the label went under and their recording never came out. And and Mm -hmm. I don't remember for the life of me who that was at the moment.
0: According to Wikipedia, the last album, I don't even know if it was released, but the last album on Swansong was a, a band called Wildlife. Okay. And it's weird because Wildlife has no Wikipedia entry, but it, under the Swan Song Wikipedia page it says uh, the discography of all the albums that were released uh, on Swansong. The, the final entry is a 1983 release by a band called Wildlife. So hmm. I don't know who that was something to to research definitely yeah
1: and um, for old vinyl heads that swan song sticker in the middle of the albums has to be the the coolest <laughs> sticker that anyone had just seeing the uh, angel or whatever you want to call it just spinning around there uh, in circles while you're listening to any of these great albums
0: right definitely definitely all right Victor well I got I gotta jump on to uh, my my uh, my bread and butter here my real work but it's great talking rock and talking metal with you and i think it's cool we're gonna release this on both the talking metal and mars attacks feed and yep, this is part one of at least two maybe three four maybe we'll keep doing this on a semi regular basis so um Sounds that's that cool and where's the best place the listeners can check you out online They should go to marsattacksradio.com. Cool. And they can check me out at talkingmetal.com. And both Mars Attacks and Talking Metal are, of course, available on iTunes. Cool. This is Darlene by Led Zeppelin off the Coda Record. Thanks, Victor.